0: Aloha and welcome to Coffee with Coach. We are back again. It's Tuesday. Got a great show for you today, and for uh, for me personally, it has been a long couple of days because we I joined the uh, media blackout that we did at Sky to stop all this crazy hate on the internet, and uh, you know, haven't been able to get with the tribe, and that's made it tough. Mike, come on out here. Let's talk, boy. <laughs> all right. Hello. How are you? France, our, our tribe is already starting to throw it up in here. Anna, Owen Thomas says, can't wait to for Coach to chop it up at that draft. We are going to talk all kinds of stuff. We got a woo coming from Fred Flunk. And I'm telling you, what a tremendous, tremendous thing. I got to give you my props, buddy. I got to give you my props. Michael, to get the draft on terrestrial television in Ireland for the first time in 30 years, what an accomplishment by you and all the people at the Irish NFL. And tell me what it was like now to have to be broadcasting for all those hours at the draft.
1: Well, basically, we done a preview show on, on, te- on television in Ireland on the Wednesday night. Uh, so it was on television on the Wednesday, night, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, we had Ian Rappaport on, and I, and I really appreciate your comments there. And then on the Thursday online... We went live for five hours and forty-five minutes, and I think by the time you came in, I was very much looking for my bed. But uh, a memorable week, is something I'm very fortunate and appreciative of, and massively appreciate the support—not just from yourself, Jeff, but from everybody that sent messages the last week. It's been pretty cool.
0: I think it was awesome, and, and as you know, we had Henry Hodgson, the director of international marketing for the National Football League, on, and and that was really, really important for the league to see that the you know there are. A, tremendously tremendously loyal group of fans in Ireland and around the world and this game just continues to grow and we're all part of that. It, this draft amazingly was the third most watched draft ever and again the draft now is out drawing the National Hockey League playoffs, the NBA playoffs. I mean this has really become a phenomenon and we got a guest who's a big part of it today and we're going to you know we're going to go through a lot of things, we're going to chew up a lot of stuff. We want this, again, to be your show. Your, we were interactive with you. Throw your questions at us. Let us know where you're coming from. Uh, again, th- there's no question that's too tough or, or, again, as long as it's appropriate, we'll answer it. And uh, ma- looking for your takes, too. Now, this might have been the third most watched draft in the history of the National Football League draft, but there was more history made, Mike here and you know what I'm talking about the first ever people's draft and an unbelievable unbelievable bit of you know i, I participation is the only way I can say it you know we had uh, fan groups we had individual fans we making the choices for the team and it was amazing when I looked at it Mike and i and I'm looking at it a lot of the draft fell exactly the way. The Tribe said it was going to fall.
1: It did. Uh, it actually went, the first two were grand. You had Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then uh, Sean Club went and messed it up by getting Justin Fields. I'm only joking. But then it started to go a little bit from there. But uh, Trey Lance was a big one, obviously, the fall. I think the, uh, he was sitting at nine in the People's Draft. Obviously, he went at three. Uh, but a lot of it went the same and trying to see what went the same here. Giants didn't get Mika Parsons. The Patriots what? getting Mac Jones was one Patri- of the, the
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one. In the, the people's draft, Mac Jones slid to 15 to the Patriots. In the NFL draft, Jones started to slide, and, and Bill Belichick said he wasn't waiting to see if it was going to happen. They traded up, which they rarely ever do, to go get Mac Jones. So, again, just like we call it, there were a number of picks – that you, the fans, made, you, the tribe, made, that are exactly like the NFL guys made. So, again, you ought to feel good about yourselves and and the choices that you made. If we got questions, throw them up there, Mike. And then in a second, we're going to go on to our first guest. But I want to cover a couple NFL news. Jimmy Garoppolo says he's ready for competition from Trey Lance. Uh, Again, this is going to be an interesting one to watch. Obviously, you don't go up to number three unless you feel that guy is the future at your franchise. Now, Jimmy Garoppolo's job is to fight him off. And uh, I think that's going to be a really fascinating one to watch. We're going to talk to Brian about that one. Uh, Former Pittsburgh Steeler left tackle Alejandro Villanueva uh, has just signed a two-year deal for $14 million to go to the Ravens and play tackle for the Ravens to uh, replace Zeus, who they lost uh, to the Chiefs. You know, Villanueva is a great story. I don't know if a lot of fans know this, but Alejandro Villanueva went to West Point, which is the United States Military Academy. He went there to play, if you can believe this one, receiver. He's 6'7", and in in his college career at West Point, he was really, his biggest role was as a red zone threat where they would take him out and split him out wide at 6'7", and just throw him jump balls out there on the perimeter. He went away, I graduated from Army, was not drafted, went away, got in the service, and started to grow, found a weight room, came back, and turned into an offensive lineman. So it's an amazing story. And we're going to try and get Alejandro on the show to talk about going from wide receiver and a wishbone offense at – the United States military military Academy to win- getting $14 million two year deal to be a tackle in the national football league. I mean, even Brian Baldinger, as many places as he's been, he can't come up with a story that good. So Quentin Williams broke his foot in camp. All right. Now
1: why is that significant, Mike? It's it's massive. It's it's a huge blow for the jets. I mean, will he even be ready for training camp? I, I don't think so because he, he could be out eight to 10 weeks. I think it could be worth word or not, you have to be honest with
0: me. All right. Now, that's one reason it's significant. But the other reason to me it's significant is the fact that – remember now what's going on at this time in the National Football League. All these players are saying we're not coming into these voluntary workouts. Now, we're going to work out on our own or we're going to work out with our the strength coach we hire or whatever, mm-hmm. had that broken foot happened – not happened at the Jets facility while he was working out under the care of the Jets strength coach and conditioning people. Then his the, his insurance would not cover it. He would be out of pocket, which is you're talking about thousands and thousands of dollars. Not only for the injury and the surgery, but also the rehab because it didn't happen. At an NFL facility under the care of the NFL people. So again, for all of those players out there, you can bet this is gonna cause them some hesitation. Uh, One of the players that we really liked, Spencer Zimmerman really liked, was an outside linebacker, defensive end guy, uh, edge guy, whatever you wanna call him from the University of Washington, Joe Tryon, who went to the Tampa Bay Bucks, and what I think was a really, really good pick and he is going to wear number nine. Are you fascinated by the the amount of attention this is getting about players being able to wear single-digit numbers?
1: I mean, somebody doesn't get much of a chance to watch college football. It's going to be weird watching guys with, like, wide receivers wearing like three or seven or something like they got there. I think a scene, if it was Jamar Chase, is going to wear like seven or something like they got there. So, look, it's something that you'll get used to very quickly, I think. But maybe at the start, it's going to get a wee bit weird, especially if the quarterback wants the wide receivers number down the line and stuff, but it'll be fun. All right. Now, I want to throw this one out there. I'm gonna I'm going to throw it
0: out there, cast it out there to our fans. I want to hear what they're saying. What is the Tribe's take on Aaron Rodgers? and all of this controversy that's swirling around Green Bay. He doesn't like Kunst. He wants to get out of Green Bay. The Green Bay president, Mike Murphy, flew to uh, California to meet with Rodgers. The head coach flew out there. Gutekunst flew out there. He was quoted at the Kentucky Derby this past weekend that he was not going to talk about. It. He was disappointed that the story got out, but he's basically done talking about it. Now, I know you have some skin in this race, all right, as a Denver Bronco fan. What's your take, Mike?
1: Um, I think there's serious, serious repercussions if, you know, it looks like he's not going to play in Green Bay again. You know, there's two elements. Is he fully gone or is it just a ploy to get somebody out of the franchise? I don't know. Of course I'm going to have a hat on and say he's done, he's out. My question now is what will it take to get him maybe uh, – Couple of first rounders, a wide receiver, but hopefully that's a problem that I have, Jeff. In two or three weeks, I can't wait to the first agent. Bring it on! Uh, all right, Tribe.
0: We need your t- we need your take on this. We need your you know what do you what do you say about it? What are we thinking? Are we are we? Is this just some ploy by by Rogers to get the big contract that he's looking for? Owen oh, Thomas says. Think he was done last year, but he's dragged it on long enough now, losing fan sympathy now, coach. And that's really interesting, Owen, that you said that. And again, I think Owen is from uh, Wales. Is, is he not from that crazy town
1: in Wales? I forgot what it's called. You've, you've also got uh, winners. NFL Rogers best chip and biggest chip on the shoulder since far of history repeating itself. Jay Danahy as a Bears fan, I'll happily chip in for a plane ticket to wherever he wants. All right, now
0: I'm gonna. I don't know. The, the tribe is really uncoachable. I mean as a, as a as a whole they're uncoachable because what do we say when you send a message in what do we say tell location. us where you're from your location so on charles mcbride i know you are from hamilton ontario canada but the rest of the world doesn't know that charles right now you're not you're almost there you're almost there in terms of your fame where people would just know you they actually before long they'll just say charles they won't even have to say charles mcbride but we got to know where you're from. So now we got a question from Canada, and Charles says the Raiders should do whatever it takes to get. No. In. ain't happening. Ain't
1: happening. It's no, a- it's a- obvious he wants to go to one team, Jeff. So I mean, we'll just leave it there and see what well,
0: happens. Yeah, we'll see about that. That one team. <laughs> that one. That one team wouldn't wear orange and blue, would it?
1: Possibly, possibly. But you know, I'm gonna sit here and smile and just hope it all falls my way. All right, you know who
0: else is smiling are the coaches and the uh, guys around the league, the personnel guys around the league, because right now these rookies are in the facilities. They're starting their first three days as NFL players with the rookie mini camp. It's an orientation session. It's an opportunity to get on the field. It's an opportunity for those players to get a feel for what it's like to be a pro football player. And I don't think it, it, you can overstate how, how – big a deal it is for these kids now to walk into a locker room and see their name on the back of a jersey no matter where you no matter what team you're playing for to see a locker in a national football league facility you've dreamt about it since you're a little kid and now it's finally come to fruition so for all of those players Congratulations, all the undrafted free agents who signed a free agent contract. Congratulations. Take care of your business, fellas, because this is a great game and a really tough business. And and I think the all of the uh, people in the league that work in player development, uh, you know, led by Maurice Kelly, who we've had on the show from the Seattle Seahawks, they do a great job of helping these kids trying to transition into life in pro football and it is a different life. We got any questions out there? Throw some throw something at me, Michael.
1: There's a few guys getting back to you. So Winner says he's from Liverpool in England. Uh GME from Bengals, UK says just messaging to say I'm from Manchester. I've got nothing to add really, but I'm definitely from there. Uh Jay Dana, he's from Northwest London. And then I replied to him love the comments. Uh Fred Flunk's talking with Terry Bradshaw on the Paul or the Pat McAfee show. Basically calling out Rogers, I haven't watched that myself tonight, but that's all over the internet today. I'm sure our guest might have an opinion on Rogers as well. So,
0: well, I think it's interesting. Know. I think it's really, really interesting that you know a couple of these old quarterbacks are getting news, getting pretty newsworthy. Brett Favre's had some really way out comments, and Terry Bradshaw's had some crazy comments. So, uh, you know, again, that those, <laughs> those, those older quarterbacks, they can't get out of the limelight, I guess. Hey, let's bring on the man. Let's bring him to the show. Bring him to the tribe. This guy is, you talk about one of the fun guys to work with. And, and, you know, uh, they they talk about that cat. When that cat with the gray beard who's doing the Dos Equis commercials, they ought to fire his ass and bring this guy on to do the commercials. Because there truly is no more interesting man in the whole world than the guy I'm about to bring to the tribe. Former – offensive lineman in the National Football League. He works now for NFL Network, and he works uh, doing college football games in the United States. My buddy, Brian Baldinger. Baldy, welcome to the show.
2: Aloha, Jeff. Aloha. Uh, Feels good to be part of the tribe here. I love the opening monologue with you and Mike, who's kind of following along here. So uh, good to be with you here, Coach. Good to to join you. Uh, I didn't even have a cup of coffee. I got a little water here, though, but
0: uh, a, little late, a little late in the day for coffee for me right now. All right, buddy. I got, I, now, I got to ask you, first of all, Yeah. Right, which of your houses are you coming to us from? <laughs> uh, I'm actually not in a house. I'm at NFL Films
2: right now, Jeff. I'm, I'm down the street from one, uh, Mount Laurel, New Jersey here. Beautiful day outside. I'm in my film room here on the third floor at NFL Films right now.
0: So, in case you fans did not know this, because you we're gonna we're gonna really unpack a lot of things about Bal- Baldy that you know maybe you didn't know before. You're gonna get you're gonna get a true picture of my man, right? Baldy is a land baron. He owns properties all over the world, and uh, he has a house in Florida. Correct? Yeah. Where, where you are? How far from the water are you in in Florida, Baldy?
2: Um, I can't throw a baseball and hit it, Jeff. But I I can hit a I hit, I can hit a three iron get the water. Okay, so get a three iron off my balcony, and I can hit the water for
0: sure. Now he has a home in Southern Jersey, South Jersey. Yes, yeah. Now, uh, any other palatial? Uh, I have a place in Texas,
2: Jeff. I I I started my career with the Cowboys. I was down there, and all these guys, Randy White, and all these guys, they all bought these farms, and I'm like, I don't <laughs> they got to see, they go out there and they were pulling catfish out of these holes with their, their hands. And, you know, I mean, they were out there hunting and like, I want to get them. I want to get a farm. So I, I got to, I, you know, I mean, I, I couldn't make an investment that went well my first six years. So I said, screw it. I'm not listening to any of these other experts. You know, if, all, if everything goes bad, Jeff, I'm going to own 150 acres in debt in Texas. So I have 150
0: acres in debt in Texas. See, I'm going to tell you something. The- like, this is my guy, right? Like, we work together, I've been around him, we've hung out together. I didn't, I had no idea that he had a farm in Texas now. Okay, so so you noodle for
2: catfish on your farm? No, I I don't. I'm not, like, I watch these guys do it, Jeff. Like, I'm just, I'll do a lot of things. I'm not (laughs) noodling for catfish in these mud ponds that these guys are in, and sticking their entire arm into these holes, waiting for these, you know, 80-pound catfish to grab a hold of them. I'm just you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's snakes all over the place, Jeff. I mean, it's just not. I'm just not doing it. You know.
0: All right, now I'll bet you, I'll bet you that if you lo- used your left hand, that you could not grab a catfish. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up so in the front of the screen so we can see why. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that, that'd be my right hand. Just, a, I'm right sorry. Hand. Yeah.
2: Like he, that, that, that catfish is just taking that thing <laughs> off right there. Like it's not, it won't even be attached anymore. Like I'm not, I'm not ready to give it up yet. It
0: may, it may look like it, but I'm not ready to give it up. And Bobby, seriously, I got to ask you, did you ever think about just cutting it off? and, and uh... Sometimes I feel like it would,
2: it just gets it away. Like it would probably just be better just to cut it off. Yeah? But I still have a pain threshold that I'm not ready to, not sure I'm ready for it yet. All right. How many times?
0: How many when did that happen? It was it one time it broke you broke it, or it yep. multiple times? Time. Tell us the story about how it got broke that. I was camp. in training camp, training camp, the Dallas Cowboys
2: early in my career, maybe like the second year, maybe third. But uh I, I played mostly left guard when I was there. I went up against Randy White every day. He was the premier defensive tackle in football. And um my my hand got my hands got caught in his jersey, they were tearaway jerseys got caught in it, and he was he was a big kung fu guy, hand guy, and he was trying to get my hands off him, and my hand got caught in the jersey, Jeff, and the finger just went, it just fell. Like, it just got ripped out of the socket. And, uh, you know, I went screaming, you know, ran off the field. The trainer looked at it, popped it back in, taped it up, went back out. And then, you know, like, you know, it was a – we had morning practice, afternoon practice. So when you walked in – to lunch after the morning practice. The entire defensive line sat in the front row. So, you know, like we were at Cal College in Thousand Oaks, California. And, you know, everybody that went to the cafeteria, they had to walk down the stairs and in front of the defensive line. And they sat there and just hazed you and ruined you every day, no matter what happened. They had something to say. So, Two Tall Jones, Randy White, John Dutton, they were all there. So, I walked down the steps after the morning practice and they all stand up and they all just start like, Meh, like crying, like <laughs> imitating like me, like just crying. And then, you know, and then they, like, so I like had to let it soak in, like, all right, I'm getting abused here. All right, maybe I screamed a little too loud. And then in unison, they all put their hands up and they all had crooked fingers, every one of them. And they said, Baldy, welcome to the club. <laughs> it, was like, it was like the badge of honor, man. Like, you got the bent finger,
0: Baldy. Like, come join us, man. You're all right. Hey, fans! If you want to, if you want to talk to Baldy, you want to throw a question to Baldy, feel free. Get it in here, and Michael put it up on the screen, and, and we'll go on. Um, you know, Baldy, what you you had a brother who played in the National Football yeah. League as well. So, so three, yeah. three Baldingers yeah. played in the National Football League. Yeah. Now it was, what, it was the what, first time
2: it never happened uh, until the Watt brothers did it. It was the first time in the history of the game until Derek Watt and JJ and TJ all all, all played, but it was the only only family to ever had three all in there at the same time. My youngest brother played in Kansas City, and then he went to Buffalo. He was part of Marv Levy's teams up at Buffalo. He went to uh, he went to two Super Bowl, two of the four Super Bowls with him, and on the third one he was inactive, so you know he technically wasn't you know really part of that third one, but he was there for a good chunk of that time right there in Buffalo. Now were your parents athletes my my, uh, my father played football at the Naval Academy he was an all-American and at the Naval Academy uh, he reminded of us uh, that quite a bit growing up <laughs> My mom was a great athlete Jeff. she taught me she taught me two sports she taught me how to ski. We lived in Minnesota for five years she taught me how to ski and she taught me how to play tennis and I don't I don't ski anymore and I I just gave up tennis probably like I don't know, probably like just ten years ago, but I played tennis for a long time, and she taught me. She taught me those two sports. All right. Now, were there uh, any other children than the three boys? Yeah, that was. um, So my brother Richard played in Kansas City in the in the Giants, and then I had a sister that was in the Olympics in the ninety two Olympics. She was a cyclist. She was a swimmer in college, and then she went into cycling. And then my two older sisters, they they played sports in
0: college, but they didn't do anything afterwards. All right. So now. With all those athletes and all those kids, it must have been a free-for-all in the Baldinger house. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: Well, I remember um, you know, it was funny because you know, we me and my two brothers, you know, especially like, we we ate we ate us at a house and home every day. So um my mom used to start she started hiding food from us. <laughs> so but but we knew where all the hiding spots were it could be bananas or cookies or the app she'd hide them. In these covers but we knew where all the hiding spots were so if we didn't see it in the refrigerator we just went right to the hiding spots so it really didn't serve any purpose
0: at all like she literally had to go to the store every single day that's amazing now i want you to tell the story that that you told me about when you're living in minnesota right and you get a hockey stick for christmas yeah all right tell, tell them now, so we lived in a house,
2: we have Apple Valley, Minnesota, south of the Twin Cities. Uh great it was a great place actually to grow up. But we lived in this house where they were never supposed to build the house because the backyards of all these other homes on this block all drained into our into our like it should have just drained straight into the street, except they put a house there. So all the yards when the snow would melt or the weather would get a little nice for a while they would all, all the backyards and all the snow would melt and it drained down into our backyard. So we had this huge pond that would form every year. So, you know, we had ice ponds all over the place in back of every high school or junior high school, there was skating ponds. I mean, it was a big deal in Minnesota, but we had this pond in our backyard. So we'd go out there and, uh, you know, we, we'd just play hockey, me and my brothers and buddies of mine, you know, we'd go in the backyard, put our skates on, just start, you know, slapping pucks at each other. So I get this hockey stick, Christian Brothers, Jeff. Like, there's only a <laughs> couple places that made hockey sticks back then. So, we get, I get this Christian Brothers hockey stick. You know, back then, you got one gift, you know. You, you know, you, you have a big family, you get the one gift. You're like, I just want to go out and, you know, and, and take my stick out. Because I go out there, you know, after church, the whole thing. And I'm out there shooting this puck around. I take this slap shot. And, uh, you know, we had this, this uh, basement. that had these windows and, it was where, you know, we had one TV set where my dad used to watch TV. So he's watching, like, the blue-gray game on Christmas Day. He's always had a ball game on in our house every, every day. So I I hit the slap shot. It goes right through the window. It hits my dad in the head on Christmas Day. Like, that's not what you want to do to your dad on Christmas Day, man. First of all, it ruined his game. He's got a, a, he got a big old welt on his head. And you got this, you know, it's it's twenty below zero outside, and you got this cold air just shooting into the house through this broken window. I was like, you no, know, if you wanted to go run and hide, that was a good time to go do it.
0: I will tell you what, now,
2: how? Tell me how
0: you end up at Wake Forest to go to school. Now, I went to I went to Duke, Jeff. My right. two brothers, my two brothers went to Wake. Oh, see now now that makes it even more crazy because yeah. Wake, and, Wake and Duke are close to one another in North Carolina and they're big rivals. How yeah. did that how did that happen that you didn't so, end up uh you know? I said my dad played football at the Naval Academy, so I was the
2: oldest boy. So he wanted me to go to the Naval Academy. So he sort of forced me into going, Jeff, and that lasted all of three days before they bounced me out of there. So you know <laughs> things happened i just really didn't want to go jeff but you know but anyways i, I took my lumps so i got bounced out uh you know you face your father if you get kicked out of the naval academy uh, my brothers were happy because it sort of took them off the hook um, <laughs> you better have you know you better have a game plan for a military father yeah so i i i went to, literally came home got a couple jobs went to junior local junior college for a year and um so i played football and basketball at this local junior college and I got a scholarship to Duke. But that year, my brother got a scholarship. He was a year younger than me. He got a scholarship to Wake Forest. So we, we, we went out of the, with each other for three straight years, Duke and Wake. We actually came out of college at the same time in 1982. And then my youngest brother was five years younger than me. So when my brother was leaving Wake, they were recruiting him. And he was a really good player. Like He was a, he was a top recruit. He was an all-ACC player, all-American. He was really a good college player. Good NFL player he was a good college player though so he could have played a bunch of different he could have been all-American lacrosse player football you know he was Duncan when he was in ninth grade he was a good athlete so um you know he he followed my brother to Wake for us they they went to wake Jeff honestly back then in the you know late 70s and early 80s you know if you grew up in New York like we did uh, Long Island New York like Penn State was the school but anybody that went to Penn State, like, they sat for two years. They like nobody went to Joe Paterno's place and started. So, my brothers were like, we want to play. They they went to Wake Forest. They could have probably, like, one of my brothers could have gone to Penn State for sure. But, you know, they wanted to go play. So, both of them end up starting as freshmen and playing the whole four
0: years. All right, um, now, now how, how, did the, how did the Baldinger clan, you know, handle it when you got one on the – the, black and gold of wake and you got the other one in the blue and white of Duke and they're playing in the same stadium on the same day did one sit over here and one sit over here or did they get those half shirts or what did they do now I remember my uh, my senior our senior year me and
2: my brother Richards you were younger um the last our senior year the game was at wake so I told our head coach we had a pretty good football team so uh this is like probably like game I don't know six or seven in the middle of the schedule so, I told the coach, I go, look, my mom and dad are coming down to the game. They don't come to a lot of games, you know, um, but they're coming to this game. They're bringing my youngest brother and youngest sister with them. And so, um, I said, I got to – we both played offense line. I said, but I, I got to play defense against my brother. <laughs> Cut it <laughs> out. Like you I'm asked a year to, older. You asked to go and play defense? I have, to, I have to go play defense against the coach. <laughs> I'm, I'm not telling you what to do, but I got to line up at end. I got to go up against him, man. Like I just I've been slapping his ass my whole life. Like I gotta go do it on a game. So sure enough, like we, we got this game in the bag, you know, we we've got this thing out of control. It's fourth quarter, and uh they put me in that game, man. I got a chance to go play some defense up against my brother, man. Got a couple good pass rushers on him. So uh
0: Brian, did you tell him that you were gonna do this? Or no, he heck no. A, so he so he breaks the huddle. Yeah, and he turns around. Yeah, and and they're
2: 62. My brother brother's 27. <laughs> He turned around, come out of the huddle, and he's seen 62 line up on him. I go, oh. going to start this thing all over again, Big Rick. I was, I was going to say, did you talk a little trash? Oh, yeah. Oh, great. That my is brother, My brother, was, my brother was, he's still 325 pounds. He's hes a massively strong guy. 22-inch pythons, like always big and strong and powerful. So I just wanted to, like, you know, I've been working on my moves all week. I knew that they were going to do this I worked on my moves, you know. So I got a
0: couple in on him. Nice, nice, nice. Giving the brother the business. Fans, get your questions into Brian. And, again, Mike, um, now, I want to go to – you're at this point because it's really, I think, timely because we just went through the draft. Yeah. Right? And your path to, to the National Football League, Brian, and to what was a great career as a National Football League player. Um, how was it for you as you're sitting at – you know, on draft day – and you're watching the draft. And is, was it the same as you see today? No, no. Jeff. There was crazy
2: about it. Like, this is 1982 now. The draft wasn't televised, and it wasn't on radio. You read about the draft the next day in the Durham morning, Dur- Durham morning Sun. That's how you found out who got drafted. And for me, Jeff, like, there was 12 rounds of the draft in 1982. So my brother called me. He got drafted in the 10th round by the Giants. Now, my brother was a big, strong kid, but he was not a big football fan. He loved the weight room. He loved living in the weight room. He loved pushing cars. He just, you know, like he wasn't a great athlete, but he was really strong. So the Giants, the only team he liked growing up was the New York Giants. And his best friend from Wake Forest the year before got drafted by the Giants, Bill Yard, and he was already there. He'd started as a, as a rookie. I remember. the Giants. Um, and so – uh Ray Perkins was the head coach, Jeff. Before there was Parcells, Ray Perkins was the coach, and uh, so Billy Ard got drafted the year before. So my brother, like, he watched all the Giant games on Sunday, watching Billy, and he had a right tackle, Sid Kitson. and he was up there with the Giants, so he knew two guys on the team. So he gets taken in the tenth round. So I don't get taken, Jeff. Like twelve rounds, I don't hear the phone ring. So uh, the next day, uh, I'm, I'm studying. It's finals. I'm at Duke. It's the finals. I got a German exam. That I'm studying for, and, you know, it's back then, like, you know, we're still grinding away. It's not like now where you, everybody drops out of school and goes to work out. I'm, I'm, I'm on the dean's list. Like, I want to get, you know, I was a good student. I didn't know what was going to happen football-wise, so I'm trying to get the best grades possible. So, my, so, I, so I, I got a German exam. I got a call from Buck Buchanan from the Cowboys. So I'm thinking Buck Buchanan. He must be Buck Buchanan, the Hall of Famer from the Kansas City Chiefs. With the University of Minnesota, so I'm thinking. So I, I talked to the guy, I go look, I got a German exam, but if you get over here, before, you know, maybe we could maybe we could talk. So, anyway, this guy shows up, Jeff, and he's a silver haired, retired Air Force colonel. And I'm saying, so and he's the equipment manager. So, back then, the Cowboys signed so many free agents that they didn't have enough scouts to sign them all, so they used to send everybody in the building secretaries, equipment manager. They sent uh, they they sent all their trainers out to try to sign these guys. So Gil Brandt had this web for the Cowboys. So they sent the equipment manager to come and negotiate with me. So I told Buck, I said, listen, Buck, man, I go, no offense to but I gotta take this exam. I've been studying for it for two days. I go, if you got something to do, you know, he goes, he goes, well, well, what time, what time are you gonna be done? I go, it's a three hour exam. I go, he goes, oh great. It goes, I got two guys I want to try to sign at North Carolina State. I go over there, then I will come back. So I said, "All right." So I go take my exam. I meet him back there, and so he offers me a three-year deal, free agent contract, and um, the only team that called me, and a five hundred dollars signing bonus. A what? A five hundred dollars signing bonus. A what? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't have a, I, You know, I didn't have an agent, Jeff. Like you know, the Cowboys did show a little bit of interest. They sent uh, Bob, D'Ang- this guy uh, D'Angelo one of their scouts to work me out, whatnot. But I said, Buck, here's the deal. I've got a Plymouth Fury out there in the parking lot in my apartment with no brakes. I go, the brakes are shot. I can't drive the car. I go, it's going to cost at least a thousand dollars to get the brakes fixed in this car. It's a big car. Like I need new brakes. I go, and I want to go take, I want to go with my friends to spring break. You know, like when this thing all ends, I go, what can we do? Five hundred. What can we get? So I go. Can we get fifteen hundred? He goes. we got to make a phone call. So you know, I got to pay. I, I just got to phone my house. I go. Just use the long distance number. Whatever. He calls the Cowboys. to Collect from my phone, and they 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 get me. They they get up to twelve hundred dollars. So we we I signed the deal right there, Jeff. $30,000, Thirty thirty thousand, thirty two and thirty four thousand dollars, three year deal and
0: a twelve hundred dollars signing bonus. I got and my year, car fixed. And the year was what? 1982. All right. So 1982 to today, right? 2020. This, you talk about how the numbers have hmm. changed. How the numbers. Oh, have yeah. Now, I think it's important, and the Cowboy fans will understand this, but maybe a lot of NFL fans. In 1982, you were walking into one of the premier. Organizations oh, yeah. and teams in football, and yeah. you're a you're a free agent out of Duke with a five hundred dollar signing bonus. And now, again, Brian hit this a little bit earlier, but I want to go back through it. I'm going to give you some names: John Dutton, mm-hmm. Randy White, Two yeah. Tall Jones, right? Harvey I, Martin. Harvey Martin. Yeah. Was totally. Larry Was Larry Cole still around at that time? Larry was not there then. Uh, Don Schmerick.
2: Um, you know, Larry uh, Larry Mathao was a the defense this, man there. Th-
0: this was maybe the best group of defensive linemen in the national football League. They were, League fierce, and force them, yeah, they were yeah. fierce and Jeff. They were fierce and them back then. They they had just
2: lost the NFC Championship game to Joe Montana, the 49ers, the year before. So Landry said at the mini camp, and he said in the first day of training camp, he goes, This is gonna be the toughest training camp anybody's ever gone to we got to get tougher as a team we can't get beat on the final drive of a game with a chance to go to the super bowl not going to happen again so that that's what i walked into but i'll say this about the, the dallas cowboys jeff i'm a I, they signed 110 free agents and they had 15 draft picks they signed 125 rookies six rookies made the team five drafted i was the only free agent that made it. six of us made it but i was one of 110 free agents but i'll say this my brother dropped me off at JFK Airport in um, in New York. They th- they flew me, Jeff, first class on Pan Am. Never been a first class in my life. Been on about five air, play- five plane rides my whole life. They flew me first class on Pan Am from JFK to LAX. Had a limo there to pick me up and take me up to Thousand Oaks. Like I sat there, I ate ice cream Sundays the whole the whole <laughs> <laughs> you way. Know? Like I thought this. Hey, good company. I'm hey, going to get my, I'm going to get my money's yeah. worth.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, now, I'm going to weight up, and I'm going to have myself a good time. <laughs> now, you had to, knowing who you are and knowing yourself, that when the boss, Tom Landry, stood up in the meeting and said, we got to get tougher as a football team, that you knew you had a chance. Because that's all that was always one of the things that defined you as a player, your physical toughness. Yeah. Well, you know, they, um, so our job.
2: So, what happened? This is how uh, training camp was conducted back then, Jeff. Obviously, a lot different now. But the, um, for the first 12 days of camp, it was all rookies, rookies and selected second year players that were coming off injuries or whatever. So, we went out, we just, we just scrimmaged, literally, learning the offense, you know, walkthroughs and all that, learning the offense. Every drill was full speed. And literally, and we scrimmaged at the end of every practice. So we had 12 days before the veterans got there with the whole staff. And so you got a chance to really compete, kind of sort of make a little name for yourself. And players were already dropping like flies, you know. And so then the veterans show up. And our job basically was just to run card drills for the starting defense. So I said, put me on left guard. Let me go against Randy White. I either get my ass kicked or I'll get better or both. So, you know, he was the reigning He'd already been the, the Super Bowl MVP in 1977. Um, he'd been to six or seven straight Pro Bowls, all Pro Bowl. He was the best defensive time. So, you know, um, I remember one day in practice, Jeff, I, I blocked him one-on-one. I went out and party that night. I drank eight shots of tequila. Like I thought, like, if, my, if I die and go to heaven right now, I could tell the whole world that I blocked uh, 81. One time. I one time, one time I, I got I got, him. I got him. I got him. I got my hand up there. And, Stone them at the line. I was like, all right. And then, you know, so we'd go through these camp practices and it was just brutal. Just brutal. Three hours in the morning, three hours in the afternoon, um, conditioning at the end of every practice. It was brutal. So, you know, guys are like, and then we started every practice with five chin-ups, with grabbing on to towels and two laps around the field. Like that was the warm-up. Like, And at the end of every afternoon practice, the whole rookie scrimmaged again. But. (laughs) I remember our, our defensive line coach was Ernie Stotner. Yep, Hall of Fame, Pittsburgh Steel, 15-year players, Pittsburgh Steelers. Great, great man, great coached over in NFL Europe with us over there, Jeff. Anyways, one day we're coming into a team meeting at night. And we always started meeting with roll call. You know, if you're late, it was just automatic fine. We did roll call here, 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 here. So I'm walking in and uh, I'm, I'm getting seated. And Ernie Stautner just kind of grabs me. Like about three weeks in the training camp, we hadn't even played a preseason game yet. And he just looked at me and goes, Hey, they're talking about you, kid. Like the defensive line, they're, like, they're already like, Okay, which guy is a tough bastard? Which guy is like, just keeps bringing it, never backs down. And when already said that to me, I was like, All right, cool. They, they know my, like, you know, because we all have these names, you know, these name tags and all this stuff. Yeah. So um, they had a nickname for me. It wouldn't make any sense now. Uh, but back then it did. But you know, so like they were talking about me. So I was like, "All right, they think I've been bringing it so far. Wait till, wait till tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm really gonna bring because I know I'm getting to them. I'm getting underneath their skin." So the next day I was like, "All right, we're gonna pray these these car drills. These aren't just like thud car drills. These are full speed car drills. We're gonna high low these bastards. We're gonna get after." Them. And we started like we we took we took the
0: tempo up a bunch that day. All right. Now you said. You're talking about Randy White. And I want to go back to that just a little bit, Brian, because our a lot of fans, newer fans of the game. Uh, and I would really encourage you to, to learn about the history of the game because there's so much stuff. And you're at the, you know, you're at the basically the treasure trove of all of that with NFL yep. films. But tell our fans, if you would, Brian, what Randy White's nickname was. He was such a such a ferocious guy, they called him the Mansion. He was, main, he was the man, he was the man, half man, half monster. Um, you know,
2: uh, Cliff Harris, teammate of his captain crash. They all had nicknames. He nicknamed him. He's like, this guy's, he's a monster and he's half a man, like the monster. And it stuck. Like that's who he was. He was the monster. And, um, but you know, what's funny is I tell, I mean, me and Randy became good friends and I still see him down in Texas a little bit, but, um, he really admired guys that never backed down to him. He, he like yeah, that was a big deal to him because he he tested everybody. He was a black belt, you know. Um, you know, with his hands, he he was just he was little. His hands were lethal, but he it was a big deal to him. Guys that really took the fight and never backed down, and then did the same thing game day, like that. That was that was a badge of honor back then. You earned his
0: respect, obviously, yeah. really soon, and and you know I I, I think about. That you, you're, you're talking about uh, Ernie Stotner. And I remember seeing Ernie Stotner. And, Brian, he had to have been 65 years old. And he had his shirt off. And, sh- shit, you could still see the six-pack. Oh, yeah. The, I, mean, he, he was, um, I mean, he was a man's man back in yeah, those no, days. mean, Ernie, now, he was born in Bavaria.
2: And, um you know, German roots. And I remember, like, <laughs> he, he was – everybody in Dallas back then, everybody played racquetball. Either racquetball or handball, everybody. So we had these wicked tournaments, and Ernie was one of these guys. You get him in the, you couldn't get him out of the middle of the freaking <laughs> you know, thing. Like he was just so wide. But because back then um, everything was a head slap back in, the, you know, the fifties and the sixties. Like his hands, he couldn't grip a racket. Like he had to almost take the racket to his hand to so hand- fly out. You know, because he it, like his hands were so beat up from head slapping for 15 years in the NFL, you know, and uh, trying to play Ernie, like trying to get that guy out of the out of that middle of that, uh, you know, that court was impossible, man. All right. So was Indianapolis the next stop? And he was the next stop. So I played six years in Dallas and um, they were, we had begun to go down, Jeff. This was 80, you know, 87. We weren't very good. And, um, you know, we weren't very good in 86 and 87. Like, it was beginning of the end. Jimmy Johnson came in 89. So they they put me on the block. They put me on the block, and I had two places I could have gone to. I could have gone to Houston, was interested. Uh, I had kind of a knee injury in 87, so they they weren't sure how much longer I was going to be able to go. Missed some time that year. And in uh, and, and, and Indianapolis. And um, I went to both places. Jerry Glanville was coaching Houston. So I walked out on the field. This is like July. They're looking to sign me. And this is a week before training camp, and Jerry Glanville's got the whole team out there, like no pads, but it's for full-speed practice. And it's in, it's like in Houston. Like, it's you know, it's ridiculous outside. It's 100 degrees outside, humid. And Jerry's got them just wired up. So I looked at the middle linebacker was a friend of mine, and I asked him after practice. I go, you guys go to do this every day? He goes, Baldy, man, this is nothing. Which we put the pads on, man. We go to San Angelo, Texas. There ain't a breeze there. If there is, we call it the doctor. The San Angelo Doctor. You know, if there's a breeze blowing, the cool things. I, I went up to Indianapolis and I'm like, all right, um, I, I signed up there,
0: man, for a little bit less money, but I like, I think I got a chance to make Indianapolis. All right, so now you played for one of the guys you played for in Indianapolis anyway, was a friend of mine who yeah recently passed away this year and sad to see him go because he was one of the most colorful of all the coaches in yeah. the history of the national football league and i think really probably never got the due that he deserved um because he you know he took teams in the playoffs you know and again he yeah, had sure. winning season all, super bowl all that stuff <clears throat> but ron meyer and the one of the greatest and ron meyer was full of great stories uh-huh. uh, one of my favorite stories from Ron Meyer involved you and his car. So give us that story.
2: Well, like like Ron Meyer now,
0: um, you know, I mean, he was
2: head coach at SMU when they were top five program in the country. And he went to Indianapolis and, you know, he made a trade for Eric Dickerson and he put Indianapolis on the map when there was no reason to have Indianapolis on the map. You know, they'd come from Baltimore in the night and came there in 84, 85, whatever. So I came there in 88. And they had a really good offensive line, Jeff. I mean, we, Ray Donaldson, you know, like they, 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 Chris Hinton, like we were, we were pretty stacked. We had Eric Dickerson. So, anyways, we were going through training camp and it was a lot different for the Dallas. We didn't kill each other in practice. Um, he wanted, to, he, we had a veteran team. So, you know, we had this, we had this weight room outside. So all the guys after practice used to go out there and lift weights, but the girls used to come. You know, like they'd all show up and kind of like want to meet the guys and everything. So I meet this girl. I'm out there and we're all kind of flexing and showing off. I meet this girl and I get her phone number, Jeff, and we have her Saturday night off. So I'm like, this girl's pretty, man. like, you know, I heard about these Midwest girls. I never lived in the Midwest. I'm like, that's a pretty girl. So I go to the coach and all I had was like this, this old pickup, rotted out pickup truck. You know, so I, the coach drove a Porsche. So I go to run and practice, and I'm, and I'm doing pretty good. Like, I'm going to be the swing guard and center to start the season. He kind of likes what I'm doing. He likes my attitude, the whole thing. So I kind of, like, had a good practice, you know, good training camp so far. I say, hey, coach, I got a deal. I go, you see that girl over there? Like, that's a good-looking girl, too. I go, she wants to go out with me on Saturday night, but I, 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 drive, I, I drive like a clunker. I go, can you flip me the keys to your Porsche? I got to promise you I won't do anything stupid. I'll be respectful. I'll return the car in one piece. But if you give me the keys to that car, I think I got a chance, Coach. <laughs> he gave me the keys to that
0: Porsche, man. And I'll you that girl. You, 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 you talk about the ultimate player's coach. If yeah. you okay. yeah. Now that's a move of a player's coach right there. No doubt. No doubt. Ron he Meyer, great, may he rest in peace. What a great, great yeah. guy. Uh, I'm going to give Baldy just a little bit of a break, Mike. Throw some questions at us. Again, Uh, Can we rent one of Baldy's places on Airbnb? (laughs) That's from Claire to DeBarre. Well, I mean, Florida
2: usually is pretty open, Jeff, except COVID down there where I live, like, it's not like we're a little bit open there, but the people that live there are a little uptight about people just coming in and going. So I don't know. I might have to get that cleared by some of the
0: executives at the top of my place. All right. Give me another one, Mike. Hey, Coach Baldy, Glenn from Belfast here, one of our Irish fans. Should the Finns be worried with more picks who have injuries? Well, look, I mean, Jalen Phillips, you know, was their first-round pick
2: from the University of Miami, and he had a lot of injuries at UCLA to start his career. Um, you know, he even retired from football for a year, sat out in 2019 from concussions, wrist, ankle. But he put it all together this year, and he had a great year. I think I think the um, – I think the talent is there. Um, he's got to show that he can stay healthy, though. That this is the big year for him, and he, I think he's got a lot
0: of developing to do. But there's there's a lot to work with. Boy, a tremendous. I think a tremendous upside. That kid is yeah. so athletic, and you know, I, I obviously the thing that's so scary to me, Brian, is that you know the issue, the injury issue, was not a knee, not a back. You know, it, it was yeah. concussion. concussion, and that is that is I think really really I, I'm hopeful for the kid, Me but, too. you know, every every organization has got to make a decision. I mean, it's risk versus reward, and with that kid's, you know, with his ceiling, certainly the reward is worth the risk I'm, they feel in Miami. Uh, David Crook from the UK says, wow, Baldy, the numbers have changed. What was the standout game of your career? Uh, you know, you always have to go to the playoffs. So
2: um, when I was in Philly, I was the left guard, and we went down and played a Saints team. Uh, They had the dome patrol back then. Vic Fangio was coach of maybe the best linebacking corps ever. You know, they had Ricky Jackson and Pat Swelling. Yeah. You know, so they, Sam Mills, like they were loaded. And we went down to New Orleans um, and I was with Philly and they, they literally, I mean, they blitzed the hell out. of We we were just getting smoked in the first half and um, we figured things out. In the second half, we came back and beat the Saints that day, that was the same day that Buffalo came back with Frank Reich, and uh and beat Houston that day. Two monster comeback. We came back and beat New Orleans that day. That was a, that was a good win. That was fun. I did. I I played left guard. Randall Cunningham was our quarterback. I literally inside the Superdome never heard one single signal the whole day. It was so loud. Is that right? Yeah, just silent
0: count. All right, all right. tremendous NFL career. All right, and for for like. For every player it ends at some point right now you're out of football um and this is i don't know if i've ever told you this brian this is the first i heard anybody talk about you right I, I have a friend named rick ulrich who was coaching at the university of pennsylvania at the time and he had a buddy that was working at nfl films so he was over there and he ran into you at, at nfl films And he called me and he said, you know, uh, I spent some time with Brian Balder and he goes, I think he's really, really a great guy. And I think he's going to do really well in, you know, in this business because you were just making this, starting to make this your career. Right. And what what I think one of the things that, you know, we talked about how your toughness as a player defines you. But you're uh, there are a lot of guys that want to get into into the media, but there aren't a lot of guys that will do the work. To be really good at the media, and that was the first thing that Rick said to me was just how hard you worked at it, how much you researched, how how important it was to you. Why did you choose the media? I mean, you got a Duke, you got a degree from Duke. I mean, what was it that made you want to get into media? Well, I love the game. I love the game.
2: Uh, you know, I grew up with the game. My dad was a player. My brothers, but um, this sounds pretty cheesy, Jeff. But my mother is. God bless you. I mean, she's 88 years old, and she is the biggest football fan there is, Jeff. She grew up in Pittsburgh. My dad grew up in Pittsburgh. Like, they – they, she knows football. She won her fantasy league last year. She told me Justin <laughs> Herbert – she told me Justin Herbert's going to be a star. She told me Ben is going to be a star. She just knows football. Anyways, back when me and my brothers played, Jeff, there wasn't direct TV and the games weren't on TV. My parents were living, for a large part, in California – And they would drive to Las Vegas every Sunday to go in these sports books. And they would watch the games. Yeah. So they ended up living, they ended up moving to Las Vegas um, during that time. And they bought a house in Las Vegas. And my dad was working in the military, whatever. So they lived there. But my mom got such a kick out of watching me play football. I said, well, what if I could get a career where I could be on TV? And she could just turn the TV on. She could watch her oldest boy, you know, just do his thing. So that was kind of I was kind of driven by that, to be honest with you. And then I thought, you know, I like Madden and I like Millen. You know, I liked a couple guys, but I didn't think I just think there were that many guys that really knew what they were talking about. And so I thought, you know, um, you go, you know, you're talking about NFL films. I'm I'm here now. I was in a gym one day, Jeff. It was on a Sunday morning, and I did the Eagles pregame on the radio when I got done playing. I was lo- living locally here. I get done playing with the Eagles. So, they brought me on a you know, pregame show, typical stuff. And uh, so, I'm in the gym before that one day, and I see Steve Sable in the gym. And I never met him before. So, I went up, introduced myself, and told him I want to be an NFL analyst like John Madden. He goes, Okay. He goes, I've heard that before. I go, But the only way I could really be good at it is if I get a chance to really study the All 22 film. I said, You guys have it all over there. So, he said, Listen, my, my secretary is Kathy Davis. She's a Cleveland Brown fan, if you got to know. But she can get all the games that you want made on a VHS tape, and we'd be happy to make them for you. And we've got a machine over there where you can study and watch them. So literally, from that day on, I spent almost every single day in NFL films.
0: What a great story because Steve Sable, whose father actually started NFL films, amazingly enough, they were fans with a home camera in the old Franklin Field. Yeah. And they started shooting games, and then the, the dad realized that he was on to something. First people to ever use slow-motion cameras, yep. a lot of – Steve Sable, the son, who took – really launched it, really, mm-hmm. just went into the Hall of Fame. What yeah. a great, great honor for a guy that really did so much to, to, to publicize our game and to put, put a really a creative spin on our game – you know, the, I can still think of those NFL films presents. with jo, John Facenda with have? that awesome voice that he had. You know, and the autumn wind is a raider. That it's, I mean, those were for guys our age. Like you get chicken skin moments when you when you think about those guys.
2: They were um, Ed and Steve were filmmakers. They loved the game. Steve played at Haverton Haver, Haverford High School over in Philadelphia. But they were filmmakers. Steven, so to make a good film, you needed you needed music, you needed pictures, you needed a story. Um, there's, there's a couple guys here that we've done a bunch of shows. I, I, I worked with Sterling Sharp here for a long time doing playbook for the NFL Network. But if Steve was around then. And if Steve came into a meeting that you were having, getting ready for a show, like he would just – Steve was always had an idea on his head. And he had this booming voice. Anybody that's ever listened to him talk, interview guys, he had such natural curiosity about life. In fact, if you ever come to this building, I don't you probably have Jeff, but you're in this building, it's like a museum. Yeah. It's a lot more than just football. I mean, there's art, there's movies, there's all kinds of tributes to all kinds of people on all the walls, all over the place. And so they they just collected artifacts from all different things. But they were, they were storytellers. And whatever enhanced the story. That's what they would do. And anything, they would try anything like nothing was out of bounds. And that's the creative genius is that they 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 just tried different things. And, uh, you know, they bought the rights to the 1963 NFC championship game, the Packers and the Giants for two hundred fifty dollars. And Steve and Ed, they went out there with their cameras and they filmed that game. The two of them, you know, uh, they paid the 250 and they had the rights and they were the first person to do it. And. They they end up doing it from every year after that.
0: Now, I think Brian, it's interesting when you when you talk about that creative thing that people who aren't afraid to fail, that sure. are willing to do something that's out of the norm, right? Yeah. Yep. Those are the people that are that you know are going to change things, right? They go, because NFL films change the entire sports landscape, you know, because because frankly, the NFL in our, in your father's time was not – college football was much bigger than the NFL. Yes. And then television and, and, obviously, NFL films changed all that. All right. I get to know you the first time I ever meet you is when we're in NFL Europe and you're doing the games for Fox. You and and uh, Aikman and Moose Johnson, and you're all cutting your teeth as broadcasters doing the NFL games. But you, unique of all the guys, love the travel, love being in – Immerse yourself in the culture of whatever city you were in. You were never, you've, one thing for certain, I can, I know about you is you've never been afraid of a good time. Yeah. So, so you, you, I mean, you live life the way you should live life. You enjoy yeah. every, every second of it. Now yeah. you make a decision because of a, I, I, I was, this is what I was told. I don't know. Cause I've never asked you, okay. but I was told that you make a decision because you read a book called playing for pizza to go to Italy and become the head coach of the Bergamo lions of the Italian football league. Yeah. All right. Where in the world were you going and what were you, were you going to write a book or were you going to report on it or what were you doing? So it was, uh,
2: the the head coach was a buddy of mine, teammate of mine in Dallas, Doug Cosby and and in cause coached, um, he coached with Bill Walsh at Stanford. He coached at Cal. But he had five kids, and, you know, he was kind of a little burnt out. Like he was a little too much, you know, at that level. And, um, you know, his kids were basically raised all except for one daughter. So he was like, look, Baldy, I, I kind of like want to coach still, but I, I want to do it on a real fun level. He goes – so he reads this book, Playing for Pizza by John Grisham. It's a cute little story about an aging, you know, American football Quarterback can't get a job in the league anymore. He's got an agent, says, got a team over in Florence or you know, Parma, or someplace. You want to go take it? And so, anyways, that's the story. So, um, so I read the story, I go, So what what about it? He goes, Well, they got this league in, in Italy, the the World League of American football, 10 teams over there. And I've been offered the head job with the bergamo Lions, but I I want a guy to come over and coach my lines. I said, Well, I was coaching, you know, I was I was working at the NFL Network, so I went to my boss. And I said, look, I want to go over and coach in Italy for six months. (laughs) I know you need me, but I said, I'll come back a couple weekends. I said, but I I really, I'm going to, I'm going to run a blog when I'm over there. Like, well, I'll be doing football, but you got to let me go. He said, all right, Baldy, I'll I'll let you go. Uh, If it doesn't work out, we need you here. So I went over there and um, we, we coached and I wrote this blog. I learned Italian. Um, I told the players, we had three American players. Our, our star player was Brad Van Pelt, the son of Brad Van Pelt of the Giants. He, he was a quarterback at Colorado State. Um, anyways, he, 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 he didn't want to play. He was running an Inateca, a wine bar in Santa Barbara, and he wanted to drink and study wine. I'm like, I'll do that. So, anyways, I mean, I wrote – so I, I started writing this blog. So this is a story. So I write this blog, and our special teams coach – uh father was a referee in the Southeast Conference. All right, He was an NFL college official. So the special teams coach starts sending my blog to his dad, who's down in Oxford, Mississippi. Well, also – Where John Grisham's from. yeah, Lives in Oxford, Mississippi. So he started reading the blog. So now Grisham's reading my blog and emailing me saying, your blog is better than my book. Maybe I need to come back and write another book. And so it came full circle.
0: That's awesome. That is so cool. I
2: I told the guys on the team, I said, if we get to a championship game, I'm going to give you the pregame speech in Tuttele Italiano. I'm going to speak fluent Italian. I'm going to get you to run out of the tunnel, um, come out of the, you know, out of the the locker room with your hair on fire. (laughs) So I I studied Italian and got it down pretty good. And I gave that speech, gave that speech to him coming out. All right. Now. Were you better than
0: Mussolini? <laughs> I don't know about that. because ah, nah, the, Il Duce could Il Duce could speak now, right? No, no, no doubt. Uh, you
2: know, I, we lost the championship games, Jeff. So I feel never, like it was never a good got tested. Yeah, we lost, <laughs> lost the team in Sicily, so I, I I don't know if you know if my speech was
0: good enough. Well, hey, I tell you what, I will bet it was something. Um, Mikey, hit me with some questions right now. Will you? All right. Love to, love to coach in Bali. This is Joey Jojo from Ireland. Love back at you, Jojo. Thanks for being a part of this tribe. Jay from the UK says, what other notable players came out the same year as you, year as you in 1982,
2: Baldy? Uh, well, like Bruce Matthews came out in 1982. You know, he went right into Hall of Fame. Um, he was – this was the year before Dan Marino and Jim Kelly and John Elway came out in 1983. So – um, it was funny. They they would send us the players' union would send us the roster of every team um, and every player in every team at the end of training camp. Because basically back then, if you if you made the team in training camp, like you were on the team, they didn't you weren't they weren't shuffling the, the deck. So each year that I was in the league, I would look at who was still surviving from 1982, like who were the survivors. And you know, you, you know by the time you get to 1994.
0: There's not, not that many of you. Not very yeah. many left. Yeah, yeah. That is awesome. All right, um, Mikey, one more question. All right, and then I, I, I again, David McDonough. All uh, right, David, you screwed up. All right, what's the challenge? Let us know where you're from. All right, so you got to hit. We'll get the question answered, but you got to hit us back where you're from. How big is the difference between college football and the national football? A great question, David. Yeah, it's a completely different game, Jeff. It's, it's why uh it's
2: everything that you do in college is a different offense um you know you are playing generally with 85 players versus you know 46 players so you have a lot more depth you play a lot more players um the the offense and defense are completely different than what you play everybody you know in i do a lot of big 12 games chef everybody's playing like that that three man detached double cloud you know and so it's hard to find defensive ends it's hard to find edge rushers you know, it's hard to find middle linebackers, hard to find fullbacks, hard to find blocking tight ends because nobody does this in college. Yeah. You know, and so everything is a projection right now. This is the worst draft for, like, sure edge rushers that I can ever remember. I mean, there's no Miles Garrett in this draft. I mean, nobody like that. So it's, it, it's just a projection. And, you know, if you go to the Big 12 or the Pac-12 right now, like literally if you're a receiver, you're either an inside receiver or outside receiver. You know, we have an inside receiving coach. There's all Chip Kelly and Cliff Kingsbury and all these guys. They're running this high speed offenses, like just line up and play. And so you've got guys that are slot receivers of college have never lined up outside. They've never run a slant outside the numbers, you know, or they've never run a go route bisecting the numbers in the sideline. So everything,
0: everything is projection. It's just a completely different game. You know, Bali, it's a great point because we got receivers now coming out of the – you know, all those air raid guys coming out yeah. with the hurry-up tempo offenses. They've never been in a huddle. No, yet. never. I mean, it's it's incredible. You know, it's interesting too. You know, Michigan has a fullback who yep. the Baltimore Ravens took. Right. Yep. And that kid got drafted. Part of the reason he got drafted is they, because they could see that he could actually do what – a national football league fullback has to do, you know, what in their offense in particular. Mm -hmm. And so I agree with you. It is hard sometimes when you start looking for players that can translate their skills to the pro game. And I think it's one of the reasons Baldy, why the offenses have changed so much in the last few years is because like Parcells used to say, you got to take what college gives you. And right now they're giving us tons of receivers and, you know, Find well, me a Bill was spot on with that. Um, but you
2: know, the, the think tank and the evolution of the game comes out of the college game. Yeah, it's like if I go to Duke and I'm trying to compete with Clemson and Steve Spurrier is our offensive coordinator uh, at Duke, like we could throw the ball better than Clemson. It was the equalizer, whatever everybody else is running the veer or the spoon, whatever. So you know, the, the college game has really
0: influenced the NFL game quite a bit. Yeah, no question, no question about that. All right, um, now Baldy, I I can't keep you any longer because I know you know for you to sit here and and talk ball with me and and tell stories for an hour that is one of the one of the great great experiences. We're gonna ask you please come yes. back another time. Oh, yeah, because you know what, it is so great for the fans to get an opportunity to, to hear what you know, hear it come straight from you and and uh, spend time with you. I appreciate you very much, big man. Thank you. Love and, it. Thank you for taking taking the time to come over and help us at Sky and, and all you do for the game and, and for people around the world. We got plenty of room on the Big Island, baby. Come on yeah, over. I, I know you love I, I, I know still, you love the islands. It's crazy, Jeff. I still have
2: not been to the Big Island yet. Still, so I I I told my my Hawaiian friends, I'm sitting down with DeForest Buckner on Friday to do something with him. I'm telling all my Hawaiian friends, um, all the Ohana that we all have that I, I need to get to the Big
0: Island next year. I'm not waiting any longer. right, man. I I look forward to having you. Thank you so much, Brian Baldinger. Great job. Great job. Appreciate you, Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Michael, I'm going to tell you something. We just keep bringing them, don't we? I mean, you talk about an hour to just sit and talk story with one of the most interesting guys in football. And I mean, I, I mean, you know, you're you're not going to have an opportunity to get that kind of inside, that kind of time with a really, really good guy and an outstanding broadcaster was an was an outstanding NFL player and an outstanding human being in Brian Baldinger.
1: I think he could have sat like I mean, it's it's nine o'clock in Ireland and in the UK, you could have sat until midnight or even more and, and listened to that chat. I think it, that, that that that's how good it was, and I think it epitomizes the sort of person that uh, Baldy is. Great yeah. chat, Jeff. You're killing it. Well
0: I, you know what we had we had plans to initially you know spend a lot of time and unpack the draft a little bit I'm going I'm thinking Michael we probably need to do another show this week because we really do need to focus on the draft I'd like to go back through the teams talk about all that stuff we've been here for an hour and 15 minutes already um also I think another another session this week would give us a chance to bring in a really Really, really fine young football player who's a great kid that that I have had an opportunity to coach in Winston Rose, who was a defensive back for uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. Winston was supposed to be on the show today. He sent an email earlier in the day that they're in uh, mini camp right now, mm. and the the his secondary coach one of them back for an additional meeting after practice. And so he had to step out. We will bring you Winston Rose. So all of who day nation, all you Cincinnati Bengals fans and every NFL fan, incredible story, a uh, guy who, you know, again, one of, one of our guys, one of those guys that comes up the hard way and a really, really fun and interesting kid to talk to. So we will have Winston Rose with you and we will also break down the NFL draft with the tribe and we'll break down the people's draft with the tribe. So what what you got to say before we say goodbye, Michael?
1: Not just enjoyable. We'll do it again this week sometime. Maybe Friday?
0: Friday? Yeah. Friday's good for me. We we play on Saturday. If you have Fox television, Saturday at 3 o'clock, I'm coaching in the spring league. we got a bunch of NFL guys down here. Uh, Ryan Mallett, who played at Michigan and Arkansas, was a – Quarterback for the New England Patriots is our quarterback. Uh, He he is an outstanding player. Uh, Defensively, if you're a Raider fan, you will recognize uh, the name Ethan Westbrooks. He has five years of NFL experience with one of our defensive linemen. This is a league for guys trying to get back into the NFL or guys that are fringe NFL players. It's good football. It's a a fun thing for everybody who's starving and fiending for a little football. So we'll be on Fox Television at 3 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, and then we'll be back. So Friday would be good. So if we want to get together again, we will see you on Friday tribe. Thank you so much, spread the word. And again, great to have everybody back with us together. Aloha.
1: Aloha Jeff. See you guys.